right, welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. I'm Justin, and with me is Chuck. What is going on, Chuck? Hello, man. Hey, <laughs> uh, how's, how's life? Things good? The new year is starting off with uh, the new year. Yeah, uh, things are fine. Yeah, work is kind of ridiculous right now. I'm back in that uh, that whole, you know, work being too much, uh, too, too extra. No, so, no, no, that's always fun. Yeah, you know. Yeah. What are you going to do? Raise right. your bills. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Um, we've got a guest today, so that's... Uh, about time we had a guest, right? It's been it is. I guess with all it the is. holidays and stuff, it's kind of hard to schedule. And we've been uh, had, we we got a few good folks lined up, so we're happy to have Noah Richardson on with us today. So it'll be fun to have have uh, Noah on. And I mean, he's he's here now. So <laughs> yes, he's he's no, he's on. He's literally on right now. <laughs> he's on. He's on. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's um, no, that's your cue, man. Come on. No. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> there was panic as soon as you guys hit record my headphones stopped working and i couldn't hear anything oh shoot <laughs> that, gotta you gotta technology. love that i mean it wouldn't be a podcast without some kind of we do that we actually another. justin yeah. has a button that he hits and he can just he can just <laughs> disrupt disconnect so. people's things that yeah <laughs> that'd be helpful you just gotta have a little nice. fear a little little bit of fear to get your yeah. you know, to get your heart racing yeah yeah, yeah. that's what we like yeah. we like just a touch just a touch of blood in the water before, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got to initiate that yeah. fight or flight, you know, mechanism. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Hey, yeah. nothing like a fight club if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for a little adrenaline. Yeah, we, we, we like a little fright club with our fight club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah welcome. Sure. Welcome. Yeah. Ah, things over here going good. It's it's nice and cold. It's been snowing a lot, so you know it's back back to the frigid uh, temperatures. Uh, I I've got a bunch of snakes to ship out and a couple that need to come to me. So I, I'm hoping Ooh. it will warm up soon. But yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, it helps the breeding as well. We're uh, gonna get a few things a little cooler this year. See if that helps stimulate things. But I don't know. I guess you. You see when you see. I th- I think my blackhead is ovulated though. I think she's got eggs or something. But we'll see see if that uh, nice. happens. I mean, she's huge. She's like you know just giant. And uh, so hopefully that's a good sign of good things to come. Get another chance to do it right, huh? <laughs> it, I mean, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I've seen a seen That'll a few cool. other locks. Uh, some uh, I. Tried a first-time breeder uh, Eastern Stimpsons that's phenomenal looking. So, and I've seen her locked up with the male a few times. A uh, couple other, you know, some inlands were locked up, so that's nice. Uh, yeah, things are things are about as good as they can be at this time of year. <laughs> the short short days and cold temperatures. Just throw the window snow. open and let the snow in. Yeah, I've I've kept the door open a few times, like kind of pu- push through some cold air to kind of get it, you know, get some get some stimuli going. But we'll see how it goes. Take take a cue from Terry Phillip and throw some snow in the enclosures. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've been getting the the snow of the liquid variety. Uh, nah, here, so uh-huh. yeah, you guys are inundated with <laughs> lots of rain. Yeah, 
Is it across the state? I mean, is it clear up by you, Noah, or like you guys? No, it's been just down south. So I was going to ask if uh, how was it down south in San Diego area? So we had, um, you know, last week we had quite a number of days where it was just like raining every day. Um, We had one one day where it it literally rained for twenty four hours. Uh, pretty, you know, pretty hard, pretty, well, normal for anywhere else, hard for San Diego. Right. And, and, um, some of it was, a was, was pretty, um, you know, pretty downpourish, which gets really sketchy down here just because, you know, civil engineers didn't make highways that drain properly. And when our soils get wet, our slopes start sliding off and, um, you know, bad stuff starts happening. So, um, that was, you know, definitely heard a lot of that in, in uh, you know, c- central California. Um, I know I talked to Steve and he said, uh, he had, a, he had a lot of, uh, got a lot of water up there and it was pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't too, too bad here for some flooding, you know, some, some, uh, some, uh, you know, traffic, debauchery stuff but um we're we managed so we made it we made it what's california without traffic i mean i know right like i gotta make it worse with something yeah just another day in the life (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) it seems like you've got a pretty good schedule though you kind of go in early and come home you know so you're not hitting rush hour necessarily yeah i mean yeah so so that's good i do definitely leave like a little bit before um, any type of rush hour hits, which is good, but very weirdly, it seems that whenever I go to get in my car to either go to work or leave to work, that's when the rain wants to start. So (laughs) I'm always seems Uh to be driving in the rain, even if I'm not driving in peak traffic. So, um, I guess, you know, take, take, uh, take it where you can get it. Um, but yeah, still, you know, still got to watch out for those people who, uh, never check their tires, and then when it rains, find out that they're well overdue <laughs> for a tire change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sliding by you. Those those outdoor pythons uh, surviving the the rain. Okay, they're doing they good. Yeah. They, yeah. Oh, they're. I mean, like when it was raining and cold, and you and I was in my house with my heater on. They're out, you know, sitting mm. on the basking shelf, like you know, out and about. So I know we had kind of had that conversation about how, uh, you know, um, diamond pythons like to go, uh, out for adventures in the rain. And, uh, that seems to, seems to be the case, man. Yeah. You're seeing that too. Yeah, definitely there. I mean, and both of them, not just, not just the diamonds, but also the coastals were, you know, once, once Mm -hmm. that cool weather hits and the, you know, the storm fronts there, they're out, they're out and about. So, it's uh pretty interesting, pretty interesting to watch. But yeah, that is cool. The, all the outdoor stuff's just doing good. Nice. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I wish I could do that here. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of your your climate down there. But yeah, it'd be nice to keep them out year round. That's why I stay here to make <laughs> yeah. people jealous. There's yeah, not, I'm there's jealous so of that. Things, I'm not jealous of the there's traffic. So many things the, not yeah. to be jealous about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh, gotta nice. stick to where I can get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that'd be cool to keep keep stuff outdoors. I probably ought to set something up so I can keep them out at least partially, you know, part of the year. And 
I'm I'm really trying to make a big push to get some better caging and you know those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think that darn project herpeticulture, you know, every time I listen to it, you know, you're hearing about how how the how we need to improve our herpeticulture and I I tend to agree with that. I think yeah. that's a a good thing, you know. The Podfather pushes that a lot too, so. Sure. I uh, mean, and that's like I feel like that's such an endless bottomless pit that you could sink money into improving oh, your yeah you know, improving your, your husbandry and keeping. So, yeah, well, um, that's the other thing Eric's been pushing kind of is, is that you can't, you can't turn the ship on a dime. You know, you got no, no, especially if you start out with that kind of, you know, pyramid scheme mentality of I got to keep as many snakes in as small a space as I can. And, you know, the going, going through that whole thing well, and, and trying and, to you change, know, you know, if you listen to, to guys like Ron St. Pierre, who will sit there and tell you like, Hey, I, you know, I'm trying always trying to improve my care, and I've gone through, you know, yeah. thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just <laughs> ripping stuff apart and do, redoing it till till I get it as as good as I think it can get. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's no no end to it. Ron, Ron, uh, Ron changing his caging up. I, you know, yes, iterations, yeah. money, you know how that goes, endless yep. hole, mm-hmm. bettering yourself. Yeah. Animals. <clears throat> yeah. But, but kind of over time, not necessarily, you don't have to change it all overnight, you know, do improve as you can improve as you mm-hmm. go. That's about all you can do. So, yep. Well, um, you guys ready to fight? Okay. Cue the fight. Well, let's go. <laughs> Bring the heat. Let's get ready to rumble. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Thanks for coming on, Noah. Let's uh, let's have you introduce yourself a little bit. Where yes. you fit in in herpeticulture, that kind of thing. Well, I had a very unique background as a kid. I grew up loving dinosaurs, and it just went downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, um, doesn't sound familiar at all. What a weirdo! What a weirdo! That's, that's so coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it was actually fun. Uh, I grew up slightly different. Um, it wasn't dinosaurs. It was dragons for me. That was, that was my, uh, kind of transition into reptiles, but it was, so my dad was kind of like an old school timer, if you will. Mm -hmm. He used to be like a a real big keeper, uh, before keeping Mm -hmm. was kind of like popular. Mm -hmm. So he used to have like, he was telling me he used to have like 30 different, you know, chameleons. He used to, he smuggled an iguana into his house when he wasn't supposed to. Um, so my grandmother still tells me stories about that one. Uh, he's had all sorts of geckos yeah. and whatnot. So I kind of grew up in the exotic trade. Uh, we used to. Ha- he built this massive enclosure for this panther chameleon that we used to have, mm-hmm. and it was like foam background. It had like a waterfall misting system. Uh, it was it was super cool. That's cool. It was like an old gutted, massive, like two. A uh, 400 gallon fish tank that he turned into like a, a screen door with lighting, and it, it was really fun. We used to have a, a bearded dragons in our coffee table mm-hmm. with lighting and UVB. So I mean, I kind of just grew up in the, the pet trade from him, and my mom was okay. you know kind of supportive in that sense too. She was yeah. more of a fan of lizards than snakes. So for me, that was definitely I'm I definitely keep more snakes than than lizards right now. So yeah. growing up, I was like, can I get a snake? And she's like, <laughs> they don't have legs, so no. I was like, oh, can I please? <laughs> and uh yeah we used to have stuff get out all the time uh I used to uh, being in the desert my dad used to work for ame mm-hmm. uh, aerospace company and so we used to be out in victorville 
And it was always super fun because every now and then when he'd be driving home, he'd uh, he'd find baby Cali Kings that he'd scoop up and put in, like a deli cup, bring mm-hmm. home to show us, and then the next day he'd you know go and release him back in the spot he found him. It's cool. Yeah, so it, it was really fun. Never brought home any venomous, unfortunately, but uh, it, it <laughs> was yeah, it was to show you. Huh? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't get to go to yeah. None of none of, none of venomous. Uh huh. Did, did was he was he into herping at all? Did you go out herping with him, or was he no, pretty much just keeping? Herping. Yeah, just mm-hmm. keeping. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever we kind of lived in like a new, like in Victorville, like when we kind of lived there back in like 2005, it was like an it was uh, like a newly developed city. Mm-hmm. Like we were like the first homeowners. Like our entire resident was like the brand new homes. So I mean, if you traveled like a mile outside of my house, it was like all just rest of like the desert. So it yeah. was kind of easy to just like, go out, just play around on like our BMX bikes and like naturally find, you know, lizard, like fence lizards or like scorpions were kind of a common thing over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, early like colonialists to the Victorville. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We nice. were one of the first victims of Victimville. Victimville. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, would be some, some, maybe some good spots for Herpin at least. Yeah. Know. I, I've never really herped in Victorville or that area, but I mean, you're pretty that close to some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's got cow kings. It does have cow kings. But I mean, you could also come to San Luis Obispo where we're getting cow kings right now and it's still 60 degrees. Fair. Oh, okay. Fair. Fair. Yeah. yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It's a lot nicer. Yeah. That's cool. Justin just has not uh, had as good a luck with cow kings. Um, yeah. He, he, Sounds like this, this is, this is a year, though. This is why he's open to Victorville because yeah. he hasn't found them anywhere else in California, really. <laughs> no, come up here, man. I've I find yeah. more Cali Kings than Gopher Snakes, and really? uh, and Travis Johnson used to live out here. We used to go herping together, huh. and he, he it was funny because he always found the Gopher Snakes and can never find Cali's. So we were finally like the perfect match. Uh huh. That's cool. So, um, do you do you do a lot of herping up there then, or now, I try to. nowadays? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I definitely try to. Uh, living next to Montana de Oro, it's uh, it's super easy to find like Norpax here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can go and trip on a stick and find them by accident. Like my, my two year old son kind of did the same thing. Uh, yeah, there's like a there's yeah. Well, he's he's fine. He didn't get bit, but he just he scared yeah. off a snake. And my wife was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was that was a Norpax." Uh-huh. But it's it's yeah, it's really easy to find like rattlesnakes up here, especially. You just go mm-hmm. to like this one plot of like a protected land and it's literally known like we have a, a trail called rattlesnake trail yeah they're just they're really easy to find it's kind of finding like the cali kings and some of the other like smaller not as common species to find like uh we have the california newts up here there's there's spots behind um, oh, cool. the lake i live to where it's super easy to find them in like the dozens yeah the problem is oh, just getting cool. your vehicle to that spot mm-hmm. but uh no they're, they're really fun to find uh they'll like hang out in like gopher holes so like, they'll just be peeking out and just kind of watching you from like you know yeah. head height level holes. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's there's a lot of kind of cool nature out here. Uh, nice. That I I've been really trying to like get out and find more stuff ever since uh like NPR have really been kind of hitting the head with uh you know quick keeping as much and go go mm-hmm. out and you know find all the stuff in your backyard. So I've I've really been trying to make it a goal to go find like a lot of the the stuff in my my backyard. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah nice. that's the way to do it. I think yeah. Hopefully, We're other people more are taking that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you stick close to home. <laughs> yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah, I've never really done much in in that area. You know, I've uh, had a couple conferences and things up in like uh, uh, San Francisco and had an uncle up in San Jose, but yeah, I haven't done much in kind of the more central area. We need to go visit Steve as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, uh, good excuse to get up and maybe hit uh, San Luis Obispo while we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> which which Steve? Uh, Steve, this is Sharp. Steve Sharp. He's the one that's in. Oh, okay. uh, in Fresno, yeah, yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. The, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Chaffee's. What's it? Chaffee or Fresno Chaffee? Fresno Chaffee Zoo. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, coming on, and we're looking forward to yeah, fighting. So, yeah. Um, you you recommended the topic, so uh, you know we'll we'll talk we'll talk about uh, hands on versus hands off keeping. Like, you know, should you handle your stuff? Should you? Kind of keep it, you know, keep a distance a little more and, and kind of some of the, I guess, ideas behind that. So, well, let's go ahead and do a coin toss. So, um, let's see. Chuck and I will go first to see who gets to uh, duel with you here. So, I could go ahead and tails. Chuck, got tails. Nice. <laughs> what do you want? So. Okay. So I have I have pretty strong opinions about all this. Um, uh-huh. So so I am going to abstain and let Ooh. Justin fight this one. I thought you were going the other way with that one. No, I I okay. I, 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 that's I'm a man of misdirection, <laughs> wild that's, misdirection. That's Woo. for sure. That's for sure. That's what, yeah, you're the wild card. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, go ahead and call the the next one, Noah. And oh, I'm gonna guess heads. Heads, it's heads, man. I'm losing nice. every flip here. Oh, man. <laughs> what side do you want to do you fight? Uh, I will key or uh, hands off. Hands off. Approach. Hands off. Okay, hands off. I'll go with hands on. <laughs> Alrighty. All right, and and where you're the coin toss winner, you get to decide who goes first. Who goes first? Think? Oh, whoa, the the I'm anti make the, the bottom totem pole of the keeper world. Uh, I'm gonna go first. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Um. So I guess, uh, you know, definitely kind of growing up and seeing species in the wild and especially seeing exotic stuff in zoos, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of having that mystery, seeing something in like a well-done enclosure doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, bioactive and super crazy, but just seeing an animal in it's, you know, something that you can kind of do the best you can and just kind of seeing it in its you know, natural or quote state. Mm-hmm. It was always like, uh, like mystic to me, just watching them, even though they don't like do anything. Like, they'll just kind of not move and just kind of watching them. Like, I used to watch, you know, at, like, the zoos. I would just stand, like, 20, 30 minutes just staring into that that enclosure, just, like, mystified by this animal. And if it moved its head slightly, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, it just moved. <laughs> yeah. And so I think by, you know, by kind of handling, unless it's for somewhat, like, routine maintenance, like, just doing, like, a quality check or just to check, like, the body composition to make sure, like, your animal's, like, overall welfare and health is doing good. I think by introducing unnatural, um, like unnatural responses by, or like unnatural behaviors by kind of like interacting with them more than need be can kind of create like an unnatural response or like stress from your animal. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like taking away from its ability to kind of create that natural um, stasis that they kind of stay in. Yeah. 
No, I, I, you know, I can, I'd go along with that. You know, I see, I, I'm sure that anytime you uh, interrupt an animal in its natural environment, you're creating some stress or you're altering their behavior in some way. And like you said, you know, when you've got something in captivity, you want to see it, you know, displaying natural behaviors, not like having, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of uh, hiding out or something because you, you mess with it too much. Um, but, you know, I, I think when we're keeping things in cap, well, I, I, I want to also bring up a, a similar experience, you know, sitting at the zoo. I, I remember I was at the uh, the zoo in Berlin and they had this enclosure with like, it seems like there were like 10 or 15 frilled lizards in this huge room and they kept like running back and forth and like climbing trees and then climbing down and you know they run on their back legs all goofy and i just sat and stared at that they had to they had to pry me away from that exhibit you know so it was i i i agree i love i love watching things uh perform their you know kind of natural thing now, you know, when we get it in captivity, however, I think, um, you know, we, we do have to handle the animals uh, to some extent. And like you said, if we need to change their cage or if we're doing those kind of things. And and so I think, you know, there could be a, a benefit to handling regularly. So they they know, you know, this is not the this is not a, a danger to me. They get used to you. And so that stress level, it might be high at first, but over time that will decline and and uh, they'll be used to the handling. They'll know that, okay, when when the big monkey comes in, you know, I'm not getting hurt, and so it's not a big deal, you know, mm-hmm. and so they settle down. I remember uh, my my cousin uh, got a veiled chameleon for their kid, and, you know, he was fairly young, maybe like 12 years old or something, and I was thinking, oh, boy, you know, this is a terrible oh, yeah. pet. And, and, like, he'd post pictures of him holding it and stuff and, like, you know, handling, handling the animal and... Uh, I was just thinking, man, this thing's going to die real quick. And the thing lived for like six or seven years and it was, it was cool. Like it would, it would take uh, uh yeah, like a really long lifespan. Yeah, for really do not have a long lifespan. So that's uh-huh. And so like they'd feed it and would take food off their fingers and stuff. I mean, it was a male, so, you know, they didn't yeah. have the, the complications of having to breed it and things like that. So, um, I mean, obviously females get egg bound pretty easily, but yeah, he, he had a pretty good life. They just kind of let him cruise around the living room, you know, on their plants and stuff. And, and, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I was, I was surprised and and very wrong about (laughs) that animal, you know? So, I mean, maybe that's the exception to the rule and and that could very well be, you know, of course that that could go the other way very easily too. But, you know, sometimes uh, that's, how we interact with our animals. We handle them, you know, so that could mm-hmm. be a, a reasonable thing. So I'd probably start out with that point. No, I can definitely agree. Kind of growing up with panther chameleons, they were, they were definitely one of those animals you either chose to acknowledge that this is going to be a hands-free pet and mm-hmm. you're just going to let them enjoy their life and try to not disturb them as much as humanly possible because their attitudes are horrific. If <laughs> there's not that kind of like bond or relationship with them, like our rule was we either handle them two to three times a week, nothing like super stressful, but just enough because they, they are very active, intelligent creatures and they're really cool to, to, to watch. And ours definitely never kind of wanted to go back into the cage. They always, even though we had plenty of room and it was like an amazing enclosure and whatnot. But um, yeah, as soon as we kind of started school and my dad got deployed um, a mm-hmm. couple of times, we, we got kind of lazy with our like routine handling and uh, oh man, it's attitude definitely changed for not the better. Yeah. So I would definitely say I went to a more natural 
fight or fight or flight response. Wild state, yeah. Yeah. But I, I do definitely think there are kind of, you know, like what you were saying, there are, de- there are definitely, definitely exceptions to some animals. I do think some animals, you know, it would probably be wise to kind of build that trust and relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that way it knows, you know, when the food monkey is coming to, you know, change the paper or change the water bowl, it's not, it's not danger. It's just something I'm not uncomfortable with. Yeah. But I think I think there's definitely a bit of a potential like swinging too far to the the other way with handling, um, you know per se like taking your your animal rather than just doing like real quick like maintenance you know or taking it even outside because I mean I handle my animals I take them outside in like my backyard to get some like natural sunlight I definitely think that's beneficial. Are but they in I, a stroller? Or? <laughs> no, unfortunately I don't have a stroller for my animals and. Uh, <laughs> now that you say that, I mean, I, I'll start cruising Facebook Marketplace for one. There you I go. Think that's there like, you go. That yeah, good. I would just like to point out that the Podfather is really pushing um, animal care and you know, kind of <laughs> upping your uh, your husbandry. So um, yep. if you can, you know, search Craigslist or uh, maybe Facebook Market secondhand uh, and pick up a stroller for your for your reptiles. Uh, that's, Dude, you got to take your snakes on walks, man. I don't know yeah. why people are doing this more often. Yeah. Yeah, you, you really, and, and you know, it's oh, the people best. People know you're cool if you're not walking around the neighborhood with your snake around your neck, you know. Yeah, it's a very you're, disarming you're biggest, way to present your reptile to the public, too. They it come is. Over there like, I, I, oh, look at the baby, and it's not a baby. <laughs> I'm the snake guy at my work. I think we're all that guy at work. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but when you're at the when you're at the pond with your with your stroller. You're you're that guy, but you're surprised. Oh yeah, Most people are not ready for what they. <laughs> when they when they throw the bonnet back. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't resist the okay. with that little yeah, joke yeah. there. I'm done. I'm okay. done. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, to to Chuck's point, I I do think people kind of mistake care or uh, you know general care by handling the reptile or you know handling your snake or your lizard or whatever. Versus doing better to improve your cage quality, or, or you know what's how how you're even running your cage. I'm I'm a big fanatic for, like right now I'm working on a personal project for kind of actually automating all my stuff. I was listening to Animals at Home podcast, mm-hmm. which is something that you brought up, and I I didn't know he had a podcast, so I, I looked into that, and I think he has a yeah. lot of really cool guests, and one I've only listened to like an episode or two, but mm-hmm. one of his guests was um, oh snap, it was like Herp HQ. He he was uh, showing off his this product that he wanted to make for his enclosures to where it had a three different LED strips that were of like various Kelvin. It was like a two thousand five hundred, a four thousand, and a six thousand. Mm-hmm. And he programmed it using these tiny little computers to oh, yeah. essentially mimic a a true mm-hmm. daylight cycle, not just a, a dim on and dim off, or even like what I do to my poor uh, toke gecko, which is I just turn the light on at six in the morning and it blinds it. Um, but it, it was, it was really cool and it got me really inspired, uh, because I work in engineering and I have a lot of engineering nerd friends who are way smarter than me. So I told them I wanted to essentially kind of create a, a true kind of autonomous, like a reptile, um, environmental control system. And they're they're really not hard to do, which is kind of, um, which is also kind of like a bummer because like, I think sometimes in like the, the reptile world, we're kind of stagnant. Like, everything works fine now, so no need to change. But I've looked at some of the other people that keep, you know, especially some of, like, the uh, the, the all-time kind of Herp Legends that I, I consider, you know, even I consider you guys Herp Legends, but 
like Keith and Ari and some of the other people that just have like phenomenal setups. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where I hope we kind of start going, not necessarily just hands off because you shouldn't handle your snakes, but more geared towards improving your, your husbandry, like beyond, you know, abilities. So that way when you need to handle it's, you know, you can snap your quick Instagram photo. You can still enjoy your animal. You know, you can still have that smile ear to ear. You, you know, every single herper has when they hold that dream species of theirs. Everyone, everyone has it. Uh, the yeah. first time I held a, a scrap python, I was smiling ear to ear bigger than when, you know, my wedding photos. <laughs> and, uh, but I think, I think just, you know, kind of gearing towards handling less and, and husbandry more is, is I think where, where we need to start kind of heading towards. Doesn't necessarily mean a you know, massive bio, you know, uh, bioactive enclosures and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. just better than what we are now. Yeah. I, so yeah, I think that, that, uh, that reminds me of, you know, I was listening to uh, Project Herpetoculture with, uh, the uh, Ipers, they they were on that show, and that's part of that network, you know. With uh, anyway, they were talking about automation and how it actually disconnects you from your animals, like you know. And I was thinking, I don't know, you know, I I get it, you know. They they were talking about how all the little routine things, like you know, filling the water bowls and turning the lights on and off, it it gets yeah. you more connected with what the animals are doing. Now I, I could see that if, if that's your full-time gig, you know, if that's all you're doing is taking care of animals all day. Um, mm-hmm. but where you have limited time, you know, maybe spending, you know, an hour turning on all the cage lights, uh, probably isn't the best use of time, yeah. you know, you got to get to work or whatever. So, um, I, I like, I like the idea of automation and, you know, I think, uh, um, that, you know, that definitely can, can improve, uh, meeting the animal's needs in a lot of ways. Like you said, when you incorporate these cool technologies and stuff, I guess the, the downside is if that fails, it might take a little while to realize, you know, what's going on. Uh, you know, if your lights are coming on earlier or later or something, you know, if you're not out there as much, but so I, I guess that's, you know, maybe more of a difference between a hobbyist and a full-time breeder or something, but yeah. Um, you know, I, I do like the idea of automation. Um, and you know, I, 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 I think there may be something to that. I remember there was a, I think it was that Viper keeper guy that has all the venomous stuff and he's always like, it's always sketchy, you know, his videos and stuff. Um, he, he has a lot of close calls or like entertaining. The word is entertaining. Let us, there you go. We need to manage our terminology. (laughs) We are, we are. We just had a show you know, about this, this. This is an animal con, Chuck. Come on. Yeah, so. well, you know what? You know what? <laughs> got to get those clicks. Get those clicks. If we're going to influence, we need to influence the right way. Please manage your language. <laughs> yeah, language. right. Positive language. <laughs> if we just say the right words, everything will be okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, when you when you do take that time to, to interact with the animals and, and you're – Get, like this guy would water his animals with a, like a spray bottle. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, so every animal that wanted a drink kind of had to come to him to some, you know, to yep. some extent, that was kind of the idea. So then that helps the animal see you as a provider of water rather than yep. a stressor. And so, you know, I can see maybe something along those lines and like with lizards and things, you know, feeding them by hand or with the, the forceps kind of helps them settle down. And, and that's another way to interact. And I think, Lizards are great for that. Snakes, you know, snakes spend yeah. a lot of time not moving, not doing a lot. And so I think 
a lot of you know a lot of this depends on what kind of animals you're keeping and yep. and the the level of interaction you want um like you said you know if you have maybe a dangerous animal a, a crop monitor or something you don't want that thing stressed or seeing you as a threat you want it to yeah. understand that you're not a threat and so i see a lot of people that are getting those lodge monitors kind of acclimating them young so they see the the keeper yeah. as as friend not foe and so they don't get stressed and they don't get um angry or or you know dangerous so i can can, see can we can we can we use the word boisterous we're, we're not using dangerous <laughs> language matters words matter right. justin words matter <laughs> sorry right. yeah we, we, we don't want to offend anybody <laughs> that's right that's right that's right <laughs> hashtag boisterous. boisterous here we go boisterous okay. yes so yes those animals aren't dangerous they're boisterous but you know like, like that a, a big croc monitor could could do some damage, and then it could uh, you know damage the hobby. Well, be uh, I think uh, I saw I, Scott Hyper brought this up on one of the chats about uh, somebody in Malaysia that got bit by a puff adder that they had, and Oof. actually got bit on both hands, and there was no anti venom. They didn't have anti venom. The country didn't have any anti venom, so. Um. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of sketchy there. So. Did it bite me? I don't know. Let me see. Ow! It got my other hand. How did it get both hands? <laughs> he got bit, and then he tried to whack this. Don't bite me. Yeah. How dare you? Let me take care of this. Ow! I got me again. <laughs> what happened? I just did this, and he bit me. <laughs> oh crap! There he goes again. Um, so, you know, if you, if you are working, you know, handling your animals regularly, you're acclimating them to you, you know, there's, that could reduce the potential danger that you might have from a, from a large, uh, veranid or crocodilian or, you know, uh, anything that could potentially damage you. So, I mean, that can, I, I was listening to NPR with, uh, um, Tom Crutchfield and, you know, Harry, you know he's he's got some interesting ideas and and you know I'm, I'm not sure sure about that but you know it was I'd love a, to get a pair of from him. Yeah, yeah. And oh, that's, he's got some amazing animals and he's done some really that's, cool that's, you know things for some of those you know especially like the um, Caribbean boas and stuff. But um, anyway, you know that the idea that these animals you know they 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 can learn they can develop those. Um, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a relationship, but at least like, you know, know who, who the keeper is. I, I think some of my snakes have recognition of me and they kind of hide out maybe if somebody else comes in the room and, you know, I could be, be misreading those behaviors, but, um, and, you know, I, I guess if you, if you are handling, like you said, that there can be that, da that danger of anthropomorphizing and saying, oh, my beardy loves it when I, cuddle him yep. you know and and, nice and hold him on my you know, yeah my 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 snake loves to crawl around <clears throat> on my lap you know while i'm watching the football game or something and maybe they yep. do but i i would probably guess they don't you know we're, we're reading into that the wrong way you know yep. so uh, no behavior doesn't know. necessarily mean good behavior yeah yeah. So I think, you know, from that aspect, handling can potentially reduce uh, the danger of, of, a, of a large, you know, potentially dangerous animal. Yeah. Well, that's, to, that's to, my next. Uh, to, to your credit, I think to name drop like two people in particular, I've, I've definitely kind of like followed from afar, like on Instagram and whatnot, who I think are kind of the, the epitome of like a, a great way to handle 
would be like uh, Lori Torini and uh, even like Justin Smith with his with his Aki's his training with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. He's he's like from his videos, and I listen to to THP, and I, I absolutely love all their all their um, podcasts too. Yeah, but how he's very hey, this is NPR network. Come on, man. No, I'm sorry. Don't push, no, I mean don't be pushing those jokers. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> just yeah. kidding. <laughs> uh, no, like how how he approaches. Um, are they not are they Aki's? Yeah, I think Justin yeah. is Aki's. Uh-huh. Yeah, how he he uh, like how he kind of trains his Aki's to like not be afraid of him when he comes in. It's you know not some scary big monster, but you know he he kind of trains him to slowly progressively go up his shoulder, and you can kind of see him think. And I think that is you know there is there is good in training, and there is good in kind of knowledge for them to you know have that understanding. Like yeah, the big monkey is not a danger; it's not a threat. Because I don't think that's also good, you know, for the animal's life to, for its entire lifespan to be thinking, oh my gosh, this, you know, the food monkey is, is dangerous to kind of have that looming every single time, especially if you're, you're in your snake room or if you have them like on a, like a display in your living room, if you, if they're always seeing movement, always seeing the larger, you know, or people just walking by and always kind of living that constant fear. I also don't think that's a, a good thing. And yeah. Lori's had some really cool stuff. Um, I you know, listened to that NPR episode when she was on a while ago. How she was able to train that carpet python that was just absolutely terrified of her. How she was able to slowly kind of introduce smaller little stepping stones so that it was comfortable to go out and explore. Because I do think enrichment is definitely a thing. Obviously, you can see when a snake is thinking. Um, I haven't worked with a lot of lizards, so I, I only keep snakes. And a vicious toke gecko. So that's kind of like the background I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's just toke. They're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely think those two are, are kind of like amazing examples of kind of, you know, doing stuff like that. And there's, there's a loads of other people too. Um, for me, probably the most inspirational person that from listening to NPR that I kind of have wanted to have my keeping gear more towards would be uh, Lawrence Ketchington. Mm-hmm. I think he was a, a phenomenal keeper and I don't know, unfortunately I don't know what happened to him. Um, he kind of went AWOL from like all social media and I never really kind of figured out what happened. He just kind of stopped existing and updating any of his like social media and I tried reaching out to him um, just to text because when I heard his his interviews I thought he was a phenomenal keeper and one of his big things was minimalistic handling and you know just extreme focus on husbandry and doing what he saw by being extremely intent like attentive to his animals from afar mm-hmm. that he was able to have such success with all of his animals I mean scrubs were the first things he's bred um, I I love scrub pythons. I think they're one of the most beautiful, unique, cool-looking species. And I wish the prices would go down because I want some. I want more. <laughs> um, but I think just yeah, like I said, it doesn't have to be some crazy. I mean, he he had some amazing enclosures, but he also was attentive to all of his animals enough to know that some of them were not thriving in those natural bio you know bioactive beautiful enclosures. What they needed were very simple hubs. And that's when he saw a vast improvement to their, their health and, and you know, their, their behavior and their stress levels. And that's when he was able to see them return to normal things. Mm-hmm. So I don't like what you were kind of saying about uh, like autonomous keeping. I don't think autonomous keeping is necessarily the goal to not have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I think it's the goal to, to focus your attention more on other critical things like behavior, like kind of watching them without disturbing them, you know, going back to the zoo, you know, to be able to just kind of sit there and watch relatively natural, you know, snake in a box type behavior versus, you know, unintentional stress for, from routine handling. Yeah. Yeah. Not to sound like a bird. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I, I thought of uh, another thing, you know, in that, in that same regard, like, you know, the, some of, uh, there's a park in, in, uh, Ipswich that we like to go to when we're visiting, uh, Troy Kuligowski and it's, uh, the Queens Park there. And they have a huge population of Australian water dragons that, you know, basically live in the park mm-hmm. and they, they, uh, snag food off of people and stuff you know like they're they're pretty pretty acclimated to people and so we were sitting there having a picnic and there were probably like eight or ten of them just kind of near us you know they definitely had their their comfort zone and you you couldn't get too close to them um and and uh, i remember chris cuffer uh caught one like he did this flying dive and grabbed it you know and you know so we got to hold this water dragon and then, like, uh, when I was there in 2016, we were walking along the edge, and I, I looked down in the water, and there's this Australi- huge male Australian water dragon just sitting there on the bottom of the, the pond, maybe, you know, two mm-hmm. feet down. And so I just reached in and picked him up, <laughs> and I'm like, that's the that's the easy way to do it, you know, because <laughs> like, they thought he like, thought he was safe or, yeah, he could see underwater, so he wasn't trying to swim away or, or anything. But, um, but, you know, like... Uh, reptiles certain reptiles can get acclimated to people and but they yeah. still you know, have their comfort zone you know but um you can you know if we were feeding them they'd come real close to get some food you know you could kind of lure them in closer and closer and so you know mm-hmm. they they'd get acclimated to your presence but i think they remember as well so if you know if somebody tries to dive on one and grab it they're going to remember okay uh, you know i I'm not going to trust people for a little while. They probably are going to yeah. alter their behavior a little bit compared to what they had before. So I don't know. I, I always dreamed of having like a walk-in reptile room where, you know, it was mm-hmm. like made up like the desert and had a bunch of different species or something. And I could just sit in there and just watch them. I think Flubbers are like staying on the floor too. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like a, a room. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, they have, they're at uh, reptile gardens in, in South mm-hmm. Dakota. They have part of their desert dome that has like a, has natural, you know, you just go in there and there's lizards running around and snakes yeah. on the wall and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. There's a place in Europe that has something very similar to that. I can't remember mm-hmm. what it's called, but I was talking to one of my friends, Jakob, um, Northern reptiles. Mm-hmm. And he, he posted on a story of like an exhibit just like that, where it's kind of like mm-hmm. an aviary, but like on the ground, there were dart frogs running around everywhere. Yeah, and cool. there were like legit snakes, or it was either snakes or lizards, just like climbing about in this massive walking environment. It was a really. I, I cool think I've thing. seen that. Yeah, it's in. Like, I, I don't Sweden know I can't or remember what it was. Yeah, I think it was in Sweden. I can't remember what it was called, but it was amazing, yeah. and I would have, I would have loved to go there. Yeah, another really great thing is uh, the um, it's the the uh, zoo in um, Wichita, not Wichita, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, the Henry Dorley Zoo. That's got a, a desert dome um, that's got, like, you know, actual sand dunes and, like, stuff just running around. Oh, and man. The, it's really cool. Birds and everything. And then they, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. And then you go inside, like, a big rock, like like a rock wall mm-hmm. or whatever. Inside that, there's enclosures, you know, with all their stuff. And, like, you go through part, you know, part, the first part is, like, Africa. And then you go into Australia. And then you go into North America. And it has, you know, the representative species from the different areas but that's one of the coolest zoos i've been to and they have like a jungle dome not too far away either that where they have like pygmy hippopotamus swimming around and like birds in the trees and sloths and stuff it's really cool i mean it makes you feel like you're out out nature and that's kind of you know what we want why we hopefully one of the reasons why we keep these things is to enjoy 
seeing reptiles do naturalistic things. Yeah. Now, you know, I get it when you're when you're handling too much, you know, that probably um, interrupts that behavior to some extent. But at the same time, if you're acclimating them to you and, and they see you as not a threat, then they're going to be more likely to perform their naturalistic behaviors in your presence if they're not afraid of you. You know, some yep. species are really shy. Like I don't I don't like to handle my spiny tailed skinks, my agernia. Um, they get really stressed out or really flighty. So, you know, even when you just walk in the room, they'll duck for cover a lot of times, but I've heard of people that have kind of acclimated theirs and they're, they're not quite so flighty as they, you know, see as, as a bringer of food rather than a threat. So, you know, I guess, again, it depends on the species, you know, you shouldn't be in handling your dart frogs routinely, you know, cause you'll probably mess them up pretty good. So, but other things, you know, like different pythons or, um, you know, what handling them here and there is probably not going to, it'll probably be a benefit in the long run uh, as they acclimate to you. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely think it's kind of species dependent because I, I have a common bell and he's the easiest. I can go months without handling him and, you know, open the cage and pull him out and it's super easy. But I definitely think there's like a, a level of degree of like some animals that you just can't really have that kind of relationship because I don't think they, have that kind of stress tolerance if mm-hmm. you know from from visually seeing because i had a northern white lip that is currently loose in my house somewhere oh no and uh <laughs> that's not good <laughs> that was a story yeah. and a half so <laughs> he went full houdini on me i got her last year about the same time um actually almost a year ago or exactly a year ago mm-hmm. and uh she, I, I got a pair of them they were both not doing very good uh they were in a they were in the care of someone that didn't know how to how to take care of them, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I essentially got the two of them. And the male was like five feet. The the female was like four feet long. So they were definitely adult imports from something. Yeah. And the male died within like a week. And so mm-hmm. that was a, a huge bummer because that was like my dream species. Like owning these things were like, like I've seen uh, my friend Chris, uh, Christopher NG. Um, he shout out to him. I've learned so much from him. And he's an amazing friend of mine. But he's the one that you see with the most copyrighted um northern white lip photos it's like the uh-huh. one where it's like the hand up and it's the shiny one in front of the garage uh-huh. that's his photo and so it's uh-huh. the same one everyone's seen and he's a an amazing friend of mine and so that was so much fun to have this one and so when the male died i was you know super bummed and so i had the female for a long time but she was an animal to where when she was left alone she did amazing she i was able to get like full sheds from her the eight frozen thawed like she was able to um adapt really quickly and was able to, to kind of um, I would, I would kind of say like, uh, like display normal behaviors, if you will, mm-hmm. because I didn't realize that they were, they were like Northern white lips were huge into digging. Mm-hmm. I like walked into my room one night, all the lights were off and no one just did anything. And I just heard this noise. I was like, Oh, what's going on? So I, you know, hit her with a flat red flashlight and she was just like dolphin diving, just cruising, like burying herself underneath the, the dirt and I've never heard of anyone talking about them being that, uh, you know, going under under like dirt like that. And then she also had this EVC little stand that was mounted to the ceiling. And I remember another night I walked in, she like freshly shed. It was a complete shed. And then she was curled up like a GTP. Hmm. I was like, wow, that is that's so cool. I've never heard of these things doing this before. Yeah. So, but she was one of those animals to where if I walked into the room during daylight, she was so observant, instantly disappear. Mm-hmm. She would, she would hide. She would, she would instantly notice me, and she would, she would go underneath her her hide box, and that was that. 
Like yeah. I only ever pulled her out when she shed, and that was just to make sure that she didn't have any stuck on her her tail tip or whatever, mm-hmm. and to do monthly cleaning of her enclosure. But she was one of those animals I I couldn't do that. Same thing with my um, my I have a southern scrub, and she's uh, about two years old now, and she's another one I can't pull her out without her spraying and whipping, mm-hmm. you know, from the from the fun end. Yeah. She, she's very <laughs> defensive. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, she, she doesn't buy anything like that, but, oh, man, do I, am I in for a treat with the, the fluids? If, I, if I'm not fast enough to kind of get her into a different area for her to uh-huh. kind of calm down so I can clean her cage. Yeah. So I definitely think there's, like, a, a varying degree of, I don't want to say snake intelligence, but almost, like, snake stress Snake management. tolerance, yeah. Yeah, yeah tolerance, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree there because like yeah some and and I think too understanding their natural behavior like you said if if an animal is is kept outside of its its preferred parameters um you know then that could influence its its attitude <laughs> towards you know who, the the food monkey keeping it in a box that's not right for it you know that kind of thing yeah. so you know and and some animals just don't settle down and they're gonna tail whip and spray crap yeah. all over you no matter what oh, yeah. you do you know so I, I although you know i always heard that white lips were the worst and then i i had this uh this there's this father-son duo that would come to the reptile shows and they had like all these rare species back mm-hmm. in like the uh yeah. early 90s and or mid 90s and they they you know that he had a big old uh black uh, uh white lip um and just kind of around his neck and it was just hanging out you know no no big deal just completely tame so yeah there's definitely that that's probably an exception to the but he had a pair of them you know the male and the female and his dad would hold one and he'd hold the other you know just easy going you know no big deal and hey you want to hold a white sure you know that kind of thing so um yeah, I mean, he, I think there's there's ways to kind of help him settle down or to, you know, to mm-hmm. and so again, you know, potentially handling or a, or a some kind of routine to get them used to the keeper and used to you. Could yeah, definitely, I, I think a lot goes into temperament. I mean, age, yep. you know, um, environment, temperature. I, I, yeah, yeah I, I think Scrubs is a great example of. Yeah. You know, uh, they're extremely, extremely cage defensive. And, you know, yep. once they're once they kind of clear that precipice and they unload their bowels on you and, and uh, are done striking, you know, they're in my experience anyway. And, and, and I've, you know, run the gamut of some that just don't stop wanting to bite you uh, or will take the opportunity to bite you if they can to just being the most placid animal once you get them out of the cage. Uh, so, and, you know, I would say carpets are a good example of, of, you know, things that tend to be a little nervous when they're young, but tend to not be nervous when they're older. So I think mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's definitely a lot to that. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, some, sometimes it just seems like you get those carpets that never settle down. And is that, because you didn't handle it enough or is that because you know you you handle it you know or it settles down is that because you handled it all the time and um you know it's yeah. it's uh it's kind of a you know kind of like a i don't know you know in the end you, you really you know um yeah I have, a, I have a coastal like that that is just will light me up every single time like no matter what and i kind of <laughs> try to to 
handle it like once a week to somewhat form that, you know, trust that, you know, there's no harm going to come to it, but it is not letting up. So I'm kind of now leaning towards the leave it be, don't handle it when, you know, unless absolutely needed to. And then just kind of hopefully let it mature into like a larger size. Cause I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that before from Travis, like, yeah, sometimes carpets can be a pain in the butt when they're small, but once they get to like a, a more people size, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll kind of fall down and not be as. Yeah. I mean, my coastals that are outside, uh, they're very big animals. They're very yeah. old. They're old. You know, they're pushing the 20 year, uh, and they're old awesome. and, um, that, you know, I, I wouldn't consider them, um, what did I say? Not dangerous, but, uh, um, <laughs> boisterous. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. I wouldn't consider them boisterous snakes. Um, they're pretty passive, but, but man, sometimes you go to get them out or to do something and they just were like, anytime you touch them with the hook, they're trying to bite. And it's like, Oh, I do not, you know, I, you know, it's like you, you want to trust them because most of the time they're fine. <laughs> but I don't want to get bit by yeah. either of those two animals because they're yeah. you know their teeth are huge. There's no harm in using a snake hook, you know. Yeah, like I, I no, it's just fine. And and I think it's beneficial for the animal too because if you do have an animal that's always trying to bite, you know, a lot of times when they're biting you, they're losing a tooth or you know mm-hmm. like having some other issue, and and it's just not the not the best for you or the animal so you know using a you know using a hook is not a big deal i also think to your presence around an animal um the way you handle yourself can also influence uh how how the animal reacts to you i remember we're i I think i might have told this story on here before i don't know if i have but we were in australia and my buddy brought over his big uh scrub python and uh and he you know he uh, this is Smitty. No, no, yeah, Smitty had yeah. the had the um, the scrub and the what was it, the kraken or something like that? Yeah, it was a, yeah. it was a, it was a, it's a, big it's a large it's a large male king horn eye. It was a, yeah, it's a, it's it's quite an animal. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful snake. But um, Brian Barcheck was over there and he was doing like this the the Steve Irwin jumping around, you know, oh, it's dangerous, it's going to bite, yep. you know, and that kind of thing. And he, and he was, yeah, he was trying to get a picture with it, you know, and, and, it, was, and it kept, like, moving towards him and stuff. He's like, oh, oh, you know, jumping around. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I walked over and just picked it up and put it around my neck and <laughs> yeah. said, you know, take my picture or whatever, and, and, like, and then set it down. I'm like, that's how it's done. It <laughs> just kind of, yeah. you know, messing with him. But, you know, it didn't it didn't try to strike or bite me. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've seen several several uh, King Horn Eye in the wild, and the only time I think one tried to bite was uh, we were taking pictures of one on the road, and it was, a, it was pretty big. It almost, you know, went across the whole road. And, uh, uh, Rico Walder was, was with me in, in that trip. And we were, he, he was driving and he, you know, he, it, I was, I was out cause I was driving. I was tired. And so he took over and like all of a sudden he just slams on the brakes and we come to a screeching halt, like a few inches from this giant scrub, you know? Yeah. And so I, that woke me up and we were out taking pictures of it and stuff. And, and he, uh, was trying to stop it from going a certain way. So he's using his boot, kind of putting it in front of the snake's face. And after a while, the snake's like had enough and it kind of bit his, yeah. bit the bottom of his boot kind of mm-hmm. thing. But you know, all the other ones I've seen, I'd pick them up and move them off the road or, you know, pose them in a tree or whatever to, to get pictures. And they never struck, they never tried to bite. 
And I think if you're calm and deliberate and, you know, and you're, you're not afraid, I, I really think there's something to that where they can, you know, sense that you're jittery and you're, you're afraid. So they're going to take advantage of that and either use their, you know, cause a lot of snakes will, will try to bluff you out and try to strike and hiss and make you leave them alone, you know? And if it works, if you back up when they hiss or they strike, then that, that enforces that that works, you know? Yeah. And so, and you know, I've, I've, I've had a few people kind of don't, you know, do that say, Hey, you just got to take a bite sometimes to show them that you're not afraid of them. And if you, if they do bite you, just kind of hold still and let them let go. And then, yep. you know, continue on with what you were doing. Cause if every time they bite you, you put them back in the cage, they're going to know, okay, if I don't want to be messed with, I'm just going to bite mm-hmm. and then they'll, leave me alone, you know? So, yeah. So all of my Tracy, a, I do the babies. I never used a snake hook for any of them. I just reach right in there and pick them up. And norm, normally they're like, Oh, what? what? Oh, and, and by the time, you know, they figure out they're getting picked up, they're already up. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like when you reach in there and then they turn their head and look and you reach back and then you try to reach in there again. That's when they're like, Oh, they got this, you. This, this guy <laughs> yeah. wants to get tagged. You flinched so, two for yeah. flinching. <laughs> and, and, and man, that's really been my experience with carpets, with scrubs, with a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff is if you just reach right in there and grab it up. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to say a hundred percent of the time you won't <laughs> yeah. get bit. Yeah, but, you'll uh, take a bite once in a while. But a predominance yeah. of the time, um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if I would do that. Uh, no, I probably would do that with with uh, any of the animals that I got from from Carrie and Todd. Those animals are psychopaths. But if mm-hmm. you just reach right in there and grab them, they don't they don't even have time to get all to get all wild on you. Um, yeah. Unless, it's unless they're looking for a meal, like, you yeah. know, the, and, oh, and yeah. I, I think that's, you know, one of the risks of, cause I, you know, honestly, I don't handle my snakes all that often. And most of the interactions I have are during feeding time. So when I open the cage, I'm usually putting a rat or a mouse in or, you know, water for them or whatever. So they're usually like, Oh, doors open time to eat, you know? So that, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, you need to feed them outside their enclosure or whatever, but you know, they're, they're just, they're just doing what their routine is and they get used to that. Then they're going to behave that way. So it's my fault, you know, and I understand that. That's why I use a snake hook when I pull them out of the cage. Once they realize, okay, he's not feeding me, he's pulling me out of the enclosure. Then they don't try to bite. They don't try to freak out unless they're Woma or something. Then they think everything's food. So, (laughs) but you know, just know, know your, know your animal and know, kind of the natural history, like, you know, Womas are, they're always looking for a meal. Same with green tree pythons, you know, and if you fed them every time they were hungry, you'd probably kill them, you know, by overfeeding them. You, you definitely would. And so, um, you just got to keep that in mind and know that they're probably looking for something to eat. Even after you're handling, make sure when they start nosing you realize they, they might think they can take you on, you know? So if you understand the snake you're keeping, then you're going to, uh, have a much easier time, I think, in that regard with, with bites or with, uh, you know, those, those responses that, that you can expect, you know? Yeah. No, my white lip was very much the, the same thing. It was, it was a very quick methodical. And if I messed anything up, it was just going to be downhill from there, but it was like a very <laughs> quick, she, she hit under, uh, like this container that was like flipped upside down. Uh, Lisa showed me this trick. It was super cool. Mm-hmm. She just got like a, a plastic container, like a normal kind of bowl, and cut out the, the 
top, the top of it, and instead of flipping it over like what you normally do, you just leave it like that, and you put a cork flat on top of it, and then you mm. fill it with uh, the moss for like a human hide. And I was like, mm. oh my gosh, that's genius. That way, whenever like they're in there, you can just pull the whole thing out, you not disturb the snake, clean it, and put it back. Unfortunately, that never worked for me. You just hid <laughs> under it. So uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was super convenient. So it was this very quick, I had to pull the water bowl out because she had this massive, like, one-gallon water bowl, so that way she would never die of water. And uh, mm-hmm. I had to quickly scoop her out and then not move. Mm-hmm. That would give her, like, as soon as she was out of the cage and she would realize, like, she's on the hook, and then she would just kind of freeze and then slowly look around, and then she would be able to, like, kind of slowly open up at her, you know, uncomfortable pace. But if if I missed... She would take off, and it would just be downhill. Just uh-huh. it would be like they're fast. They are such fast animals. I, I don't yeah. think they get the credit for that. I also don't understand why they're so popular. They're terrible creatures, but they're beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the trick, I guess. And, and you know, like I mean, fish are beautiful, but I don't handle my fish. You know, some some reptiles yeah, are just thing. not meant for handling. Yeah. yeah, I would see that you know that iconic interest snake for a solid five minutes a day max, and that was at night. And I had to do it with a red flashlight, and my son's in this room, and all of our snakes. So I had to like I could only have like five minutes of like flashlight time, otherwise like my son would wake up. And uh, yeah, that was it. That was all I got for that animal. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully she pops up soon, so I can put her. Justin, back in I'll her. see I'll see your fish and raise you a water buffalo. <laughs> yeah. You don't, don't want to handle a water, water buffalo. buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> Mooses, hippopotamuses. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. Um, I, I like that, uh, the, the red light trick. I, I remember hearing that from, um, Rob, he, he told me to install like a red light in my room. So, you know, when I yep. went in there at night, just flick on the red light and then you can kind of see what you're doing. Um, <laughs> somehow my wiring got messed up. And so every time I tried to turn on that red light, it would trip, you know, f- uh, flip the, the, the fuse. And so I, you know, I yep. like, I can't use that central uh, light bank, but anyway, um, I I, bought, I just bought a headlamp that has red and green yeah, in addition to the white light, awesome. and so I just put on a headlamp when I go in the reptile room at night. It's also great for collecting roaches, like the dubias, you know, because when you open the dubia uh, tub in in the light, they all scatter, but with the red light, they kind of hang out, and you can yeah. get your sizes and a lot easier that way. So, I've kind of yeah, bothered that. a lot about that trick too. Just don't yeah. ever record yourself doing that to like because I was using the red light to watch her because she was doing the digging thing. I was like, oh my god, this is so cool! Yeah. I'm going to post this on Facebook because that's always a good thing to do. <laughs> and oh my gosh, first comment after five minutes was, "Wow, super cool interaction." Um, just remove the red light. <laughs> like you know, take the, yeah. make sure to take the red light out of the enclosure. And I was like, all right, that was my fault. Shouldn't have done that one. Uh, Can't post anything on Facebook. Oh boy! Totally did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you invite you invited the experts. I know that <laughs> was that was entirely my fault. As soon as I saw that comment, I was like, yeah, that was my fault. Shouldn't have done that yeah. one. I knew that. And you know, I I guess there. Who knows? I I think. You know, if, as far as I know, it's it's a, a safe thing. And you know, if if you got the headlamp, you're not really. Whoa. It's not a constant thing. It's just you know here hey. and there. So yeah, I didn't even say peak call. Over here. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I I think uh, using the red light lets you witness behaviors like that. Yep. You know, and I think Rob was talking about that on the last uh, podcast where 
you know, you, people think of certain snakes as calm and easygoing, you know, he's like, try handling them at night, you know, with the yeah, red light mm-hmm. on, you know, yeah. they're going to, they're going to light you up, you know, so yeah, you got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Used to, he was like, yeah, everyone thinks they're super pl- <clears throat> placid, placid, but <laughs> take them out at night. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I would say green trees are a great example. Yeah. They're, they're very chill snakes during the day. I, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, just just opening the cage at night, you're liable to get your 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 face taken off. <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean, that, again, that goes back to understanding the animal's natural history. You know, yep. if you you Absolutely. know what you're know what you're dealing with, you can uh, respond appropriately. And and I think you know I do think there's ways to to interact or to to kind of handle in certain ways you know pretty much everything uh, that we work with uh, but you know some are probably less <laughs> it's it's better probably not to interact with those things but i don't know i i wish i could interact with the komodo dragon those things you know oh, that'd, be, the, that'd be really cool yeah watching the the interactions that zookeepers have with the komodos and stuff i did get a pet one once <laughs> in a That's, in a zoo uh which was pretty sweet but um but yeah that that you know the the they say that those animals are very intelligent they're very responsive you know i've read some stories about different keepers and their interactions with komodo dragons and i think there just are some animals that you know that lends itself to um there i was my cousin told me a story they went down to costa rica and they took this little boat tour this guy took him up the river uh by the tarcoli's bridge and there's like this huge population of crocodiles and we got to check that out when we were there in in october but um i guess this guy takes takes people up the river on tours but so my cousin he takes my cousin and his family up the river and all of a sudden he jumps out of the boat and there's this massive crocodile and he's in there just playing with it and swimming around with it he's like and he's like i know there's no other crocodiles because this is the biggest one in the river and stuff and i'm just like man you know the the amount of trust you have in that animal and you know, I mean, you hear stories like uh, what, the grizzly. <laughs> no, nope, I was wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it just takes once to be wrong or, or that, uh, <laughs> that animal to be really hungry, you know, and desperate yeah. or something when you become meal rather than. Oh, friend, yeah, that's. Yeah, that can be sketchy. I mean, we always we need to keep that in mind. These are still wild animals. You know, they're not necessarily domesticated uh, even though they've been bred in captivity potentially you know several generations we still need to understand especially with large ones that are potentially harmful or boisterous venomous, boisterous oh. or, or or uh venomous what do you, what do you want me to call a venomous species uh, <laughs> spicy Spicy, spicy, spicy. I like that. I like that. Yeah, if they're the a little spicy. Is, uh, the worst you'll get is diarrhea in the morning. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, listening to that one. <laughs> listening to um, Tom Crutchfield talk about handling, you know, free handling cobras. I'm like, eh, is that the best thing to be putting out there? I don't know. But anyway, I, I think, uh, you know, when I was come out before they can react, man, it's super yeah, simple. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and I, I remember as a kid, I was reading about Grace Wiley. She was that uh, she was she was had a bunch of venomous snakes back in like the 30s or 40s. I mean, it's a while ago, you know. And she had like king cobras and stuff. And she tells a story like she's holding her king cobra 
and a, a crocodile comes over and bites the cobra on the tail, and the cobra's like tapping her to alert her to the to the crocodile biting its tail or something, you know. So like she had some pretty crazy stories, and she just freehandled all these venomous reptiles all the time, just handled them like a normal snake. But she also died of a cobra bite, you know. So what? she was she was holding no. one for for a picture, you know, for a photograph. She took off her glasses. She couldn't see well, and the cobra bit her, and she died. And then they they had anti venom, but she'd never used it, so the syringe was all rusty, and so and the and the you know was coincidentally um, that was the same cobra that the uh, crocodile bit, and it was <laughs> just trying to get revenge because obviously she did not have the cobra protect back him the, from the that's crocodile. correct, yes, that's correct yes. from the boisterous crocodile. That's but correct. Uh, <laughs> but you know I. I I think when we let our guard down or we become complacent, you know, of course that can, that can be when things, and I mean, yeah, people are skilled and, and they can handle rep. I mean, one of the best, you know, uh, venomous handlers out there is Terry Phillip. And, you know, he's, he's had how many, you know, thousands of, of handling hours with venomous snakes. And, you know, he got bit by a prairie rattlesnake out in the, out in the hills or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just takes one bite to, to mess you yeah. up. And he spent some fun time in the hospital, you know, but, and that's the only bite he's had, you know, so it's like, yeah. you know, the more you interact with those animals, the, the, your chances just go up. It's, it's almost not a matter of if, but when, you know, I so. mean, I think, I think it's an, you know, if you, if you think that your skill um, is, is such that, that, you know, through the statistical odds of numbers and, you know, you have all these high numbers, you're increasing the likelihood. And, and, yeah. and if you don't think so, that's your ego talking. That's yeah. purely yeah. your ego talking. And, and you know, and you like that Terry, Terry will, Terry doesn't take unnecessary risks. No, Terry no. is, is probably one of the, and that's why I really like Terry is, is that mm-hmm. he is one of the, you know, safest, most reasonable venomous snake handlers. And oh, by the way, he has thousands of interactions, you know, a month mm-hmm. or a week or I don't oh, I, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, they have a ton of venomous snakes. A ton. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, you know, you know, like, like, uh, uh, with the story with the, um, puff adder in Malaysia, now they're looking at trying to ban, you know, keeping any, non-native venomous snakes or something you know anytime you have a bite like that then you risk ruining it for the rest of us kind of thing yeah. you know well i mean it's you know it's, and this goes back to the, to to the npr podcast where where they were talking about you know um legislation and 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 all that kind of stuff it, i mean to the average person to the average lawmaker the question just is like wait why are we allowing this? Mm-hmm. And it's a good question in some cases. Like, why yeah. Why do they allow that? Like, what's the, well, oh, there are no rules around this? Or we have incredibly lax rules? Or, well, this doesn't sound very good. I mean, you know, to us, it doesn't sound like a big deal because we're educated in it. To people who yeah. may not understand, it seems unreasonable. And yeah. if the rest yeah. of the world looks at us and thinks we're unreasonable, guess what? You know? you know perception is reality so yeah you know i i i think that's uh definitely a point for noah that you know in certain circumstances you probably shouldn't interact with with certain yeah. reptiles because yeah. it could at my work we made a joke about how uh the biggest youtube or uh 
like snake YouTube channels are the ones that are you know handling the venomous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. for the most part they're they're the biggest channels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and what was it? It was I think it was that same Iper episode where they're talking about a guy free handling a green mamba. And like all these comments were people that like didn't even realize it was venomous. Like, oh, what a beautiful green snake. You know, they like may not even real. And all the reptile keepers are like, you idiot. What are you doing? You know, you're and, and nobody really realized what that was or that it was potentially dangerous. You know, yeah. it's only when something bad happens. And I mean, I guess if you're going to keep venomous, you better know how to handle them properly, yep. you know, and, and if and so I guess I could probably take that point back and say, you know, if you do keep venomous, you should learn how to handle venomous because that's going to be a bad thing. If you do not know how to handle venomous and your snake gets out and you need to, you know, do something, handle it. I know, uh, uh, Phil Wolf is, you know, those, those cages that like say, yo, you'll never have to interact with your venomous snake. You know, you can, there's like little, uh, doors for the box. Yeah. Those kind of things. And, and he says, I will never use those because, if you can't maintain a venomous reptile, you know, without that, then you shouldn't be keeping a venomous reptile. Mm-hmm. That's kind yeah. of the, mm-hmm. the, the bottom line. So I, and I, I see a, a very valid point to that. So I think there's a slight difference between knowing how to handle your venomous, but still not doing it routinely. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, sure. well, I guess, I mean, you still have to feed them and you still have to, you know, change their clean their cage and things like that so you need to know how to safely move that animal from the cage to you know the can or whatever where you're putting it while you clean the cage and things like that you you need to know like i'm not gonna scoop out the the substrate with my hand because there could be a shed fang in there that could inject something you know just things like that where you you know you wouldn't think about that so um, there's, there's all sorts of different, uh, uh, permutations to keeping venomous. And, and I think that's why, you know, having those, the permit systems or the training systems where you have to get a certain number of hours with somebody that knows what they're doing. And we, we talked about this with Phil Wolf. Um, you know, those kind of things can be beneficial, but uh, assuming you get the, the right kind of keeper, I guess, the, the guy who's like a Terry Phillips, you know, mm-hmm. that's doing it right, that knows what they're doing, is not taking unnecessary, unnecessary risks to, you know, be, have that machismo or whatever, or to be boisterous themselves. Um, you know, you, Thank you, you. gotta, <laughs> you gotta, uh, keep that in mind, you know, there's, there's a fine line between, <laughs> between being a, a confident keeper and a cocky keeper, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think All right. Well, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. no, I was going to say, I just think um, that some of like the, uh, the more like reputable venomous keepers are definitely more of a, like the, uh, on the more nipper side of things. <laughs> That's well right. said. Well, well said. I, 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 I like the callback. I like the callback. So I feel like we've kind of covered, are we, do you guys have any more points to put out or? You kind of want to summarize the, the transfer, um, like the the Rob Stone method of using the uh, like the dividers between the cages is kind of like mm-hmm. my last little hoorah mm-hmm. for for just not handling, just using the uh, the PVC or like the linked cages, like the, like pebble, the, the like Bobby the Pebble pass throughs. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, the Bobby <laughs> Pebble pass throughs. I didn't realize that was the uh, the patented name. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> we need right, to just, put well, the label. It is on now. This. It yeah. is now. <laughs> trademark. Trademark. If, if we could please forever refer to them as the Bobby Pebble Pastors. <laughs> Or I think just we need the to... Bobby Pebble Pass. I, I'm good with that as well. We might have trouble trademarking that because that's a Justin Smith uh, creation. Bobby Pebbles, I'm pretty sure he came up with. Yeah, that but, but but <laughs> but the pass through. You, I mean, uh, I, putting I, those I, together, you know, you, yeah, you've, yeah, you've created I mean, something new here. So we'll, I, I, th- I, I mean, think you I, might have a case for your trademark. But. I <laughs> and, and you know we can. Um, Nah, nah, we're not going to give him his due. We're, we're going to steal it. Sorry, we're Justin. get some Schmitty tears. There's yeah. some Schmitty well, tears coming down the line. <laughs> aren't we used to it by now? Uh, well, I, you know, definitely a, a good a good topic to consider, you know, handling versus uh, kind of keeping a, a distance, letting them behave, uh, you know, the way they might in the wild and, and seeing things you might not if you're handling them all the time i think it's you know thanks for bringing this topic to reptile fight club and and coming on and i you know i don't think it's uh it's disastrous at all you did a great job so yeah i definitely did better than i thought i was gonna do and i was definitely (laughs) for a solid 40 minutes during this (laughs) uh it's a great great nothing to worry about nothing to worry about Yep. So anybody considering uh, bringing on a topic, it's uh, it's it's fun, right? It's, yeah. We're not, we're not uh, too antagonistic. You guys again? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, so I, I guess we, we're kind of doing a a new thing where we talk about maybe stuff that's uh, we've seen uh, that's great in the in the hobby or in in herpetoculture or herpetology or or whatever. Um, I, I'll lead off with with something I saw. I was I think it was uh, Noah Fields NFK herping on on YouTube, and he was talking about um, this project where they're trying to find this uh, Indigus type monitor on an island. Um, I think it's Halmahera where they're looking for this monitor, and I guess it's known from I think one or two specimens or photos of specimens. And, you know, they've, they've only seen a couple individuals, but it's a different species. Um, and so they're going to go, uh, explore the island and use, uh, eDNA, which is kind of an interesting mm. way to find stuff in the wild. So eDNA a, is, it stands for environmental and environmental? environmental DNA. So they, they what? basically like sample waterways or, or soil and they can pick up traces of of this monitor lizard or something like that if it's been through the area and and its dna is in the in the i'd really i'd really like water. to see the i don't i, I guess i'm, I'm, With, I'm i guess famously works. it's been it's been used kind of more recently for detecting uh covid or this you know sars2 okay. virus and they, I, they I, used, I, I, yeah i i they they, they monitor uh they monitor sewage, right? Yeah, and basically yeah. wastewater, uh, and they can tell yeah. if somebody has somebody in in that wastewater like, district has yeah, has like COVID population kind of projections of COVID uh-huh. outbreak based on on sewage sampling. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's it's All right. similar to that, where where they go out in the environment and sample. So so they so they're taking a known DNA sample. I mean, obviously, like they have to they have to be able to get a signal right like they have to know what yeah. signal they're looking for so they oh, sure, so sure. they get the signal and then they go out and they sample um and and they may be using you know I'm not sure on the specifics they may be using a 
a similar or a similar species, you know, using primers mm-hmm. for, for a region that's common to all Indicus type monitors to say, okay, we detected an Indicus type monitor in the right place. That kind of thing, you know, maybe there's still more out there and that kind of, Interesting. you know, encourages your searches or something. So kind of a new thing, I guess, a, a neat, interesting thing. I guess it's not as exciting as maybe finding the animal and hopefully they're, they're able to find the, the monitor itself, you know, and maybe get mm-hmm. some information on, you know, populations in that area. But I mean, it's a less traveled area. There's, you know, it's pretty dense forest and stuff from where, where from what I gather for, uh, where these things are from, but I thought that was kind of cool, and I think they're 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 taking donations to to fund the project, and so nice. you know if you want to contribute to that, and is this is a privately them. funded thing. This is uh, I believe so. I'm not sure. There might be more to it, but and I should have wrote down more more information so you yeah. can go find this. But I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, NKF uh, herping you know on YouTube okay. that that announced this. Uh, if I'm wrong, like we can talk about it next week, I guess. Yes, but. I will lambast you. <laughs> there you go. You can. Yeah. You can. Uh, I will yeah, boisterously lambast you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll take that opportunity with relish. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know anything else you guys have seen recently that deserves some shout-outs or kudos or or interest. Uh, checking out Herp HQ, his uh, his project for the. Um, his his daylight cycle with the LED because he's trying to do a full uh, like autonomous with humidity temperature and light like full day like a like a day like almost like a true replicated day swing with like heated like you know your peak lights turning on with the hottest uh, like during you know noon or whatever it is um, even with like winter cycles it, it's a really cool project and I hope to create something similar eventually that's cool yeah that's really cool. I, I guess kind of related to that, I've been thinking a lot about humidity, you know, maybe it's talking to Ron St. Pierre recently, but, you know, we're, we're uh, these desert species that we think of as needing a dry environment or whatever, um, but they have these microhabitats where they have a certain nipper where they're getting very high humidity, you know, like, say, a, a snake in a burrow or a or, you know, these these uh, lizards coming out at night after the dew point hits, you know, that they're they're not just out doing their thing, but they're out when there's that stimulus in the environment. I think I think that was the big thing that Ron kind of keyed me into was when he went when he was out hunting what night anoles or, or giant mm-hmm. anoles or whatever in Florida um, or, or chameleons or whatever. They wouldn't they weren't really coming out and they weren't finding anything and all of a sudden the dew point hit and then all of a sudden they're finding all these lizards. So um we we've got a, a data set and I you know I won't spill too many beans, but we've got uh a, a data set that kind of suggests that certain, you know, desert snake may may uh spend most of their time at very high humidity and and that was something novel to me. So I I think I'm gonna revamp my keeping and try to develop a uh, maybe a more humid hide for for this species. So that that that's information that's forthcoming. I'm I apologize for the the mystery behind it, but okay. um, there know, is now a half a can of beans on the floor. Folks. There you go. There you go. Oh. But uh, you know, I I did see I it was somebody keeping uh, um, Kleinmanai the the small the egyptian tortoise right the small mm-hmm. tortoise and and they had uh, this like humid hide and basically it was like an upside down. Um, Rubbermaid container with a hole in the side so they could go inside. And then it had like a nebulizer um, attached to the top and, and it was 
you know, fogging the inside of this hide. And so like they could go out and go around and, and, you know, get, get the light and the heat and everything, but then they could go back into this humid hide area and have, you know, just like they maybe would in a burrow. And some of these burrow systems have, you know, 80, 90, 100% humidity in them. So even though they're out in the middle of the desert, they're very humid in these burrows. So kind of a cool, cool thought that's, that's come through my brain here. <laughs> so I guess I'm just continuing to rethink, you know, how we keep uh, desert species. But Nice. Well. Good, uh, good podcast you've been listening to. I, Me? I'm a little behind in my listening, but I'm pretty sure there's a few. <laughs> a few yeah, I mean, I, I I caught the uh, the NPR where they kind of kind of talked about you know uh, you know had Mike and um, Mike Curtin oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, um, 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 oh my gosh, I feel so bad right now. Uh, say it. Say it. I can't. You, the more you, you say, it. the more. <laughs> it was my curtain, and my forty-six-year-old brain is pulling a Julinder right now. <laughs> hey, I gotta, I gotta relish this one. Oh my a little boy gosh! Here. <laughs> uh, What's that? Gotta, do you want me to say the name? Yes, please. <laughs> no, no, don't do it. Oh, oh God! Arms um, um, <laughs> hot. <laughs> Scott, thank you. Jesus. Sorry. Scott, Scott Borden? Is that the one? Yes. <laughs> okay. My God. Is that what it feels like, Justin? <laughs> it does. Oh, and I, man. You know, I'm sorry, I, dude. I, you wow, you I know. Have given, I have given you. Now a you know the other side, right? Now you know the I other felt side. like, you know what I felt like? I felt like an old man who didn't know where he was, but he was walking down the street with underwear. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun, huh? It's fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mike and Scott did a, had a great uh, yeah. discussion about the the current state of the hobby and things like that, and they brought up some really good points. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, um, maybe we ought to have those guys on to fight because it seemed like they were kind of encroaching into Reptile Fight Club area with that that whole discussion. It was, it was really cool listening to that episode. Although, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and fun. I I think <laughs> I, I mean. You know, not to not to bag on the Podfather and the Mac and Wookie, but ha- had that had that been done right on Reptile Fight Club, I think we could have teased out uh, a little bit more of. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, I, I I think there's room for for some some uh, you know maybe more. Um, how do I want to say uh, spicy Additional discussion? Yeah, yeah, yeah spicy bit. discussion that comes um, out of that. I, I think. You know, they, I, issue, I, they did issue that challenge at the end yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, and I, I, I want to come on all the podcasts. So we I think I think that we um, we need to be very honest about this and not shy away from some uncomfortable conversation. And you know, if people get their feelings hurt about, well, I don't like that that snake people are saying this about the hobby. Like, well, maybe <laughs> you need to examine why you feel that way, um, and and maybe you need to stare yourself in the mirror and stop, you know, kind of self aggrandizing the hobby. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, that's definitely a show we should have and, and, uh, see if we can continue that, uh, conversation. I, I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. listening to those guys. I am so sorry, Scott. My apologies for my for my senility Julinder moment. Um, hey, now. hey now, I know, I know. I said I wouldn't do it, and I just did it again. So, 
they're just you know yeah. there's just so much room in my you know in our brains the, we can only retain I, so much <laughs> and i guess what makes me mad is you actually have shit in your brain and i have <laughs> shit for brains so it's, it's you know Wait, that didn't sound good either way not, but, <laughs> yeah. well you know stuff you're a doctor and you're okay, you're, okay. You're, that you're, sounds you're, a little better <laughs> you're working with tropical viruses and i'm, uh, I'm yeah all right. Well, um, yeah, I, that's a been a fun show. Thanks for uh, listening and tuning in, and hope to to catch you next week again. Um, let's uh, shout out to the NPR Network, uh, NPR dot com. Check out all their stuff, all their their great uh, interviews, and man, they're they're really making a push for some impressive episodes this this yeah. new year. So check them out. Um, thanks again to the Podfather no, you and the Mac and Wookie. Yeah, where can we find you, Noah? You can find me on Facebook uh, at Noah Richardson. Just look for the goof with messy hair and a boa constrictor on his neck. <laughs> uh, that's my account. And uh, we do have a reptile account. My dad and I, we have some, uh, some some of our snakes. We need to update it because one went missing, and unfortunately one of them passed away. But it's uh, yeah. at Pappy and the Dipsticks. Nice. <laughs> All right. Nice. <laughs> that's approved. a good one, yeah. Approved. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of bands. Out. A lot, of, a lot of musicians in our family, so we all said if we were to ever uh, to form a band, it would be uh, Pappy and the Dipsticks. That's awesome. Uh, hey, that is a you know, that is a killer band name. Actually. The Reptile Crew. Yeah. Uh, I think that constitutes a you know, it's also good for a good Reptile Crew. So yeah, yeah, good band name. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for uh, having me on and listening to me yeah. about one. Yeah, of course. No, we'll have you again. On. Yep, yep. That's it's been a lot of fun. Um, this is, I mean, that's one of the, my favorite parts of doing this is meeting new people and, you know, kind of getting some FaceTime and, and having a discussion. Cause you know, that's, that's what this is about, you know, connecting with fellow uh, enthusiasts and people who share that same passion and excitement. So yeah, thanks for doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope to hear hey, well. more about <laughs> other people that uh, aren't like aren't as like yeah. well known, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing is uh, that we found too with this is like, People think their their you know maybe their ideas or their thoughts don't matter as much because they haven't you know been around as long or they haven't worked with as many species or whatever excuse you know but yeah. I've I think I've found a lot of I've gained a lot of insights from just those people you know yeah. it seems like you know the guys that have been around a long time you've heard from them a lot you know kind yeah. of how they think and what they're gonna say yeah. and what the, how they're gonna act so you know I think we we uh, limit ourselves in our own learning. When we assume that we don't have anything to learn from some of the newer, you know, new people. And, but I, I do think a lot of, you know, new guys look for different ways to keep or, you know, have different thoughts on issues and, and different mindsets. So yeah, it's been, been really good. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of Reptile Fight Club. If you touch your snake or you don't touch your snake, remember, Reptile Fight Club is here for you. Fight Club. Fight Club.